Let's finish with a bang. That's the idea I get when I walk into next stage, the last room of the exhibition Shifting Proximities. A projection fills the enormous space, reaching from the floor continuously on the wall all the way up to the ceiling. And there's music. It starts off pretty mellow, but then it bursts out and it feels like I'm in a club. The visuals below me and before me are black, white and blue and are somewhat recognizable as QR codes or visuals inspired by QR codes. And everyone is having a blast. But is it art? This time, I'm not asking visitors or hosts. I'll let you form your own answer at the end of this episode. Welcome to the final episode of But Is It Art, a podcast by Next Museum, the home of new media art at the intersection of art, science, sound and tech. In this first season, we're exploring the artworks from our inaugural exhibition Shifting Proximities, trying to answer the never-ending question, But Is It Art? This episode, we'll be talking about Dimensional Sampling by Yushi Chao, also called James, and Lao Hyu Kong, or Lawrence. Little disclaimer for this episode, you will not be hearing the sound from the installation. So the QR code is actually, I used to basically in New York City. Forgive us for the sound quality, but you're hearing James. He's based in mainland China, so the interview had to be done online. I wasn't aware that Zoom was blocked in China, so James had to use a VPN to call in. And all that while he was in a taxi as well. I'll summarize what James said if the audio is unclear. And but uh, from 2016 to 2019, I always travel between uh, China and New York a lot. So during the time, I always see like, uh, you know, the comparison always made a huge contract that like in China, there's more and more mobile uh, economy happening. And the QR code was actually the main door or the main teleport uh, uh, patterns. Uh, so I, I was like very curious about this abstract visual pattern, which like, you know, recognized by the phone, but not recognized by the human being eyes. After commuting between New York and China, James noticed how common it was in China to use QR codes for everything, from payments at the market to checking in at the doctors. And now the use of QR codes in the rest of the world has increased dramatically due to the pandemic. Even at Next Museum, there was a period when you couldn't enter unless you had a QR code that proved you were vaccinated or healed from COVID. But this visual language of the QR code is something the human eye cannot read. We always need a scanner to be able to decipher what the QR code says. So James wanted to use that language and reclaim it for the humans. But I see this objective black and white pattern very interesting. So I say, why not? Potentially, we can make it into some visual, audiovisual work as a kind of a lead or inspiration. So James decided to use the graphical aspect of the QR code and transform it into a visual performance, which humans can enjoy without having to scan it. He then turned to Lawrence Lau, who is a sound artist based in Hong Kong. Just like QR codes triggered James visually, 
The little notification sounds and the ringtones that come with these QR codes or apps inspired Lawrence. This is him. Most of the time, the biggest sound like provides the rhythm, and which is the rhythm is quite important for the the you know the the movement of the visual. And、um, for me, I, I one thing I, that I remember because the, the 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 text message thing. He's talking about this sound. That was like、uh, I've I've two. Thoughts about that. One is because we are, we are trying to make a like long duration work, which is for me I think is quite long because we have like at least three chapters and it lasts like for thirty minutes around thirty minutes. And for such a like a long duration work, we need some like a narratives, you know, something that can you can understand, like not purely abstract. And so that's why we have that kind of like a, a suggestive. Sound for the for providing the narrative, and at the same time, it's like it it should have a panning effect on the sound. So it's also because we when we think about like an immersive installation project, we always like try to use like as often as possible to activate the the space. So that's why we had that kind of like design about the the left right things. Lawrence's work was important since it created a rhythm for James's visuals to play with, and it also activated the space by having not only the visuals but the sound move. The idea is to get people to stand up, walk around, and maybe even dance. Among the hosts, we were always joking that dimensional sampling was the closest thing to clubbing when all nightlife was closed, and this idea isn't too far-fetched. Here's Lawrence again. One thing about the clubbing. Idea is it provides a because rhythm is one quite crucial element to drive you, like to create connection between you and the sound. So that's why we decided to use like strong rhythms to force the like the audience to, you know, to directly feel and also connect with the music. So you don't need to understand anything before you like go into the space. You just Step in, and you can feel the like the pulse. You don't need to really to analyze. Okay, what is that layer, and what is that atmosphere providing? You can just move in and feel it, and to be immersive, like to feel the immersiveness. Besides reclaiming the visual language of the QR codes, the most important goal in this work was to create a visual experience that is immersive. We've already talked quite a bit about immersion in episode four of this podcast with Barney from Marshmallow Laser Feast. But even more than in that artwork, dimensional sampling feels like it's a party, something to really enjoy. This is James. Yeah. So the first thing is like normally when we creating the audiovisual installation, we always wanna like okay this time let's try not just to be very black and white and very cool, very immersive. We want them to not just see this pure formalistic. Way, but also I want to like not just boringly point those out. I also like want to create some interesting like you、uh, suck into a, a virtual、uh, hyperlink world from this QR world. It's like a create a virtual door by using audiovisual performance. 
so the people can have this trip with you. So, so no matter which was the version we did it, it's 10 minutes or 20 minutes or the 40 minutes each time, they will have this emotional roller coaster from it. James said that he didn't just want to create something visually interesting. He also wanted to suck in the visitor into the work and make them reflect on how this, in a way, is the same digital world they usually live in with so many QR codes around them. And in this digital world, they wanted to activate the visitor, not only by making them move, but even more than that. Actually, during the performance, there are several uh, clip-off moments that you can use your cell phone to scan the, the content, can play uh, some, some sampling that made by Lawrence. The work plays with the visual language of the QR code, so if you were to take a picture of the work, at some points it will actually scan some of the codes that you're seeing, and that brings you to a soundbite made by Lawrence. And that way the visitor is not only a spectator, but also a participant. I already mentioned that next stage, where this artwork is situated, is our biggest room. And that's not a random choice. From the start, Next Museum would also host live events, and Next Stage was one of the rooms that could be used for these bigger events. It took a while before we could actually use the big space like we wanted to, since COVID restrictions made it hard to organize events. But once these restrictions were lifted, the events took off. This is the founder of Next Museum, Merel van Helsingen. So live performance element and experiment is, is really important for us because yeah, we really believe in experimenting, researching, failing, learning. So we have two spaces, so the next lab and the next stage. Um, in the next lab, we have availability of technology. And this is really a space for artist residencies, um, for, for example, dance practices, um, where dancers can connect to technology, can connect to digital art and collaborate in creating groundbreaking shows. Um, and really people who come to the museum can interact with the dancers, can follow workshops. Um, also, we do educational programs there. So that's kind of constantly where we test and learn. And downstairs in the next stage, the biggest space we have, um, what we try to do is at least every quarter, we do a live performance. And that could be, yeah, it ranges from a massive rave during Amsterdam dance event where we have a visual artist and a DJ collaborating for two months to create a mind-blowing live show where you can dance inside an artwork um, but it's also a um, for example a light artist who's uh, Michaela Pelusio who played like a, her own developed light instrument um, which she crafted for eight years and she tested and learned and learned and learned um, which was a really beautiful small performance um, in the stage so we want to give that stage away to lots and lots of different types of artists to experiment. Next stage was home to many artists over the years, but also to parties like for Amsterdam Dance Event, where a music and a visual set can be combined. The projection that goes continuously from the floor up to the wall makes it perfect for an almost trippy live experience. Lawrence and James also performed dimensional sampling live for Amsterdam Dance Event. This was during the lockdown, so it had to be done in the cyberspace, streaming live. James and Lawrence weren't even in the same room, and not even in the same country. They were projected into the digital space that was broadcast live, while one was working from New York 
and the other was back in Hong Kong. This is James again talking about the idea behind the live performance. Yeah, but we will try our best maybe do a live performance version later. So we want the audience to scan the QR code on the on the on the content we're creating, and those QR code will uh, lead you to um, a website where the 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 the, the, uh, the sound library that uh, Lawrence made, and then yourself will actually become the speakers of the performance. What James explained earlier about scanning the QR codes was just a stripped-down version of what they actually wanted to do with the live version. They wanted to turn the work into a performance, where visitors could scan the QR codes in the work, and those QR codes brought them to an audio library made by Lawrence. And there, every visitor could play a sound on their phone, which would then echo with the live music as well as with the other phones in the room. This was, of course, not possible in the cyberspace in which they performed. But what more would be different from the installation in a physical live version? Let's hear from Lawrence. For the sound part, I think it's quite similar to like those like uh, you know like different musicians. They they have like a album version. They have a live version. So you have a live set for the live version because you know the album version. You always like you can do the mixing like precisely or and for the live version, you always need some more excitement. So I would say that. The the framework of the work is still like pretty much the same, but I the, for the live version that would be like like uh, more improvisation and like real time triggering or like adjustment of the different sound colors. We can imagine what live music is, of course. Even though no instruments are used, the idea of musical improvisation is as old as time. But how do you make live visuals that go hand in hand with live music? For the visual part, the, there's some some difference with the installation version. Is first is like we gonna uh, me I gonna lively tweaking the visual a bit. So it's more like uh, you will see a special director edition, cut edition, but also in the same time. Uh, just like uh, any live performance, I will try to add some uh, new patch, new elements into the visual. So where Lawrence compared it to the album version or the live version, James compared the visual part as the normal version versus the director's cut or the extended version. When performing live, he's adding onto the already existing visuals, tweaking the colors in the same way as Lawrence said he's changing the sound colors. But what other than the added musical and visual elements make a live performance different from the installation? The only difference is like the, as James has said, it's different. Like by, it's performed by human or it's performed by the machine. So for me, is that's the only difference. And uh, because the concepts and uh, like the set of the concepts and the relationship between the visual and the music and the sound is most. It's just like uh, pretty much the same. But is it really the human who is performing when it comes to this type of new media art performance? Since we're still using a machine to produce the live elements, it makes us question what liveness actually means. Oh, that's a big topic because, um, like, if I tell you this thing is performed by a machine, but every time is different. Like the coding is like real time coding, and every time it. Pro- Creates different things, 
And so is this a live performance? It's like tricky question. And for like human, like if I do a Broadway show and it's, you know, every time I dance the same steps, everything is like fixed. It's like, so is that really a live thing? So it's always like, you know, there's a dynamic between how do we perceive liveness? And, but it's very interesting that, um, that like forced me to think every time when I do a performance. On the un- one hand, it's important to, for the performer to feel alive. But on the other hand, it's more important to let the audience know that they can feel alive. Like they, they feel the, you know, the situation here is a, a, a live thing. So it's kind of interesting that for me, it's like every time I think about like performance or like, uh, a live performance, I focus on how can I create that sense of liveness for the audience. Liveness can be perceived in many ways. It can be man-made, it can be machine-made, it can be controlled by the spectator, or the spectator can be a passive bystander. But what is certain is that liveness is really important in the world of new media art. Many of the artists I spoke to in this podcast either came from the performing side of art or have dabbled in it. For example, Helene Blanke, the artist of Habitat, who you heard in the third episode. She started off as a VJ and was quite a prominent name in the nightlife scene, also outside of the Netherlands. I asked her, do you think live performance and new media can go hand in hand? Or should they consider it as separate things? No, they absolutely work together. Um, I think uh, I, I come from years of, of, of working in the nightlife. And I think, you know, like for the last 10 years, it really became something without uh, a kind of cohesion between image and sound. There, there was not this extra element, so to say. But I also think it's a little bit under... You know, it's, it's, I mean, for instance, when you see it at the next stage, you cannot escape it. You, the visual part is there. Um, but when in a club, uh, sometimes you, you, yeah, you, can, you, can es- you can escape it, I think. So maybe we should differentiate between a live performance in a club setting and live performance in a museum or exhibition setting. But then again, there are tons of crossovers. For example, Horst in Belgium which is a festival that combines the best of the musical and visual art scene to create an immersive and intense party experience with innovative new media technologies. I was also very curious what Raphael Lozano Hammer thought about this balance or disbalance between live performance and new media art, or alien art, as he likes to say. He has been around as an artist for a couple of decades, so he has seen live performance and new media technologies come together, but would he consider what he is doing in the same light as what live performers like James and Lawrence are doing? Well, it's, it certainly is different, but I mean, not because it's different. It has less or more merit, right? Um, so I come from a um, family of nightclub owners. My parents were had disco nightclubs in Mexico and then salsa nightclubs. And I grew up with... Uh, a party as a fundamental place of otherness where these lights and these strobes and these 
disco balls and color changing luminaires um, allow you to hide. And I've always liked that. This is not light of enlightenment and of clarity, but it's the light where you can be someone other than yourself and lose yourself in it. And so I, for a long time, thought that one of the best things that you can do in art is allow for that disorientation to happen, to give people the freedom to be someone other than who they are. And, um, and if a club like Artwork does that, that's wonderful. I think that's super valuable. Um, some of my pieces try to do that as well. Um, I do think it is political to party. I do think it is um, uh, artistic to share space over music and over uh, audiovisual phenomena. And I dislike people who try to make very clear boundaries between stuff, right? Um, so, I, you know, I just think that we, we have to relax on, on these boundaries and just see the artworks for their merit, you know. As a fundamental division, I don't think it exists. I love um, uh, a club as an artwork. And maybe this quote by Raphael is the answer we have been looking for the whole time. All the artworks are immersive. They're political. They use new media technologies. They show us something in a way like we haven't seen it before. But is it art? Maybe you're going to hate me for this answer, but the question might just not even matter. The division between what is art and what is not art is irrelevant. And most of all, it is highly personal. Where one person might see a cool night out, the other person might see an innovative media art installation. What counts is that these works evoke the questions and that they will ignite discussion, that they will innovate, that they will inspire more creativity and more art. So, what do you think? Drop us a message on our Instagram, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts and let us know. Is it art? Thank you so much for listening to the first season of But Is It Art? A podcast by me, Victor van der Velde, for Next Museum. Unfortunately, you cannot visit Shifting Proximities anymore, but you can still visit Next Museum. Our new exhibition, UFO, Unidentified Fluid Other, just opened. So come and check out the new artworks. And don't forget to post the question, but is it art? Bye.